What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Colt Seat Podcast. Been a minute, but glad to be back after the holidays. Kind of took a break. Um, you know, after we posted in November, had Thanksgiving, and then we had finals, and then we had the holidays. We were both traveling a bunch. So I'm um, good to be back, though. Going to have a pretty tight scheduling, uh, posting schedule this semester, which will be great, um, hopefully into the summer as well. But uh, we'll kind of start it off with our first um, order of business, which I know, I guess we didn't have this in our little talk beforehand, but I did want to start off by saying, um, Obviously, we haven't posted in a minute, but since our last posting, it's been um, a lot of thoughts going on in the NFL world. Um, just wanted to say, really glad with about the news we've gotten about DeMar Hamlin. Didn't want to let that go unsaid before we started. Um, kind of came to mind as we started up, but all good news about DeMar Hamlin. Um, I know we were both, you know, tweeting about it. All of our thoughts and prayers went out to him, and um, he got home and home. I think yesterday, the day before, so um, been really great to see him recover. And um, wanted to get that out there before we started the pod today. Yeah, definitely big time news. Uh, I know we haven't posted in it, I think, since like week three. So about yeah. 15 weeks since we've had a legit episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, crazy scenario, a huge game, probably the biggest game of the year to date. Um, Bills, Bengals in Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, at the end of the first quarter, T. Higgins, clean hit. I mean, it's just colliding with someone. Uh, hit him in the left side of the chest. Uh it uh like got his got Demar Hamlin the Buffalo safety like his heart out of rhythm, just collapsed on the field there. Uh, the AED CPR was all done right there on the field. They uh brought the ambulance onto the field, took him to the hospital, and he just got released yesterday, I believe. Um, crazy stuff. Good to see that he's on his own now. I mean, they had him hooked up for the whole time, his whole visit at University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Uh, initially needed 100% oxygen provided to him, got down to 50, and kept getting better every day, which was awesome to see. Um, but it's crazy like that. I mean, I think in like the 80s or something, or maybe earlier than that, there was someone that died on f- the football field, but nothing since then. This is ob- honestly the biggest thing that's happened on a football field, medical-wise, um, maybe ever other than that. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, you don't want this to happen, but it kind of brought people together in a way that, nothing really nothing else really does uh football is such a polarizing thing to pretty much everybody honestly and to see everybody come together and support him and donate which he had a gofundme uh raising money that he started a long time ago with a goal of 2500 for a toy drive and stuff as he does a lot around the community not only in buffalo but elsewhere as well and now i think it eclipsed nine million i believe today uh so that's huge for him um for what he wants to support with the toy drive. And I'm sure it's helping a little bit medically with those bills as well. Um, so good things to see from him. There were a lot that came from that. They ruled the Buffalo Cincinnati game, a no contest since they didn't finish the th- first quarter. Cincinnati was up seven, three at the time. So it was anybody's game. So Cincinnati and Buffalo ended the season with only 16 games played. Uh, none of the stats from that uh, early concluded game count at all um definitely crazy things to happen there was a whole coin flip situation which was never going to happen now if kansas city and buffalo are in the afc championship game it's at a neutral site where i think indianapolis denied them to play at lucas oil so there's a few other stadiums up in the air but crazy stuff all around but at the end of the day it's just awesome to see it demar's doing well um and you know he has, he has all support he needs not only with his family, but his teammates, and honestly, the whole community 
of the U.S., honestly. Everyone that loves football, everyone that follows the NFL. And even if you're not a big football fan, you know what happened uh, last Monday, and it's definitely big time for him to be receiving everything that he has and you know continues to progress in the way that he has. But mm-hmm. after, I mean, after that, I didn't really know what to expect with the NFL this week. We didn't really know what the schedule was going to look like. But it proceeded as normal uh, with some big games. Every team played this week, and we're looking forward to the playoffs. We're going to touch on that with the AFC and NFC matchup seedings to round out this episode. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for the next nine weeks, so starting this Friday, or I guess starting today with the regular Cold Seat Podcast episode where we touch on yeah. a number of different sports. This week's going to be football folks, but starting next week we're going to have – you know, back to the typical episode where we talk about all these different sports and just kind of a brief synopsis on them as they uh, continue on. I know basketball is not getting a lot of attention this season. Baseball is starting up in a couple months, college and uh, MLB. And then we have college basketball as well. So things to talk about. Hockey's going. Um, but yeah, just looking forward to getting the regular Tuesday episodes back. And then every Friday, starting this Friday, we're going to be posting a NFL draft positional rankings. Um, we're going to start off with wide receivers this week. This upcoming Friday, we're each going to give our top five wide receivers for the 2023 NFL draft. It is scheduled for April 27th at the moment um, in Kansas City. Looking forward to that. It's draft season right around the corner. Looking forward to running some mocks pretty frequently here and getting to know some things about some players. But if you want to know about guys who you want your team to get, um, we're going to be releasing top fives for every position. Uh, We're going to be alternating offense, defense, offense, defense for the next nine weeks. And then I'll let you take it from here. But, yeah, really excited to get this top five positional rankings going. Is it something we didn't do last year? Yeah, um, definitely kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit on it. I thought um, kind of give us some time before we started mock drafts after free agency cools off. Um, but I want to touch on the rankings real quick before I get into the kind of what happens after we get those those nine weeks through. Um, in these episodes with the top five, I think um, you know we're gonna give our obviously give our top five. They may be similar, they may be different. Um, obviously, some of these guys are subject to change, especially prior to the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl. Um, you know, we'll probably maybe revisit these in a, in a lesser capacity after the combine or after pro days. Um, but it really just going to be on a case by case basis. Um, you know, sometimes like, you know, for example, in the edge class, no you know, spoiler alert, we're probably both going to have, you know, Will Anderson as edge one. That's probably not going to change. So we may never revisit the jump, the gap between edge one and edge two. Um, but, you know, in the wide receiver class, it's going to be a pretty pretty deep class um i think with depth wise and um you know come up this friday and we may have a different one it's very possible um you know we may have a different two three four five so it's going to be interesting um definitely something we could revisit as an example there we could go revisit the one versus the two versus the two versus the three or whatever kind of as we get through testing um you know some of these guys um across all positions have been hurt so you know obviously subject to change when those guys go get healthy they go do testing um you know the combine or the pro day um, Jackson Smith and Jig was a great example that I'm sure we're going to talk at length about on Friday. Um, guy who's been de- battled some injuries, don't really know where he's going to stand athletically. Um, you can actually prospect. So it's got a guy we're going to keep our eye on kind of as the whole process goes, but I'm really excited about this. Um, probably get a couple shout outs for some guys that missed our top five that we really like. Um, I can think of a certain guy from a university in Texas, not UT, but a university in the state of Texas that Britt really likes as a receiver um, that we got to see in person actually. Yeah, in a Texas Tech game that may not make a top five, but definitely got to know 
he'll want to shout out. I'll probably want to shout him out too. As a, he's a great player. Um, but yeah, really excited about it. Um, I don't know about, you know, Brett, but this is probably my favorite thing to talk about. Um, especially this, to this time of year where we're just kind of getting into it. Um, it's, it's a really fun time. It's all speculation. Um, I will also preface, and I'll, I will definitely get into this on Friday too, but I'll preface our, before we get into these rankings, we don't have all 22 film. We wish we did. Um, you know, we have access to stuff that's on YouTube and that's about it. So hopefully someday in the future, we can get some all 22 film. Um, pretty hard to get your hands on. It's like trying to go buy something on the black market is kind of what I would equate it to. It's almost impossible to get. You got to go back channeling through back channeling through back channeling. Um to get it but nonetheless um, both of us are really excited to get these these top fives going next week and i guess really starting this week and with wide receivers and um we won't get we won't spoil what we have you know in the future for these rankings we'll kind of you know this friday we'll let you know hey what's coming next week with our positions but um don't want to get you guys too don't want to give i guess too many spoilers out for what our, our our schedule is on that but um definitely excited to get receivers going on friday it's going to be a good class um class that i'm interested in from a from a chargers perspective but this is enough as an nfl and college fan um really dynamic classes here i think yeah and a class the ravens a class that the ravens fans need to be interested in seemingly every year um yep. never really capitalize on adding wide receivers or at least adding the right kind of wide receivers um you know to capitalize on lamar's ability we'll touch on that at a later date as well um but yeah, I mean, we're looking forward to getting this back going every Tuesday and Friday with episodes. Um, but then once free NFL free agency cools off, we're posting, we're switching the posting order and we're starting to post NFL draft content on Mondays with our typical mock draft Mondays. We're going to have six editions this year uh, with the sixth one being the Monday before the Thursday uh, of the draft. So I think we, last year we had seven. We're going to do six this year, a little better quality, um, maybe some new uh, draft orders and which picks we're going to be picking and stuff like that, uh, just to spice it up a little bit. And then we're going to have our normal episodes posting on Fridays. Uh, that might change for the week of the draft, but we'll let you all know. And we'll be bringing, bringing back the Mock Draft Mondays, like I said. Uh, should be awesome to see you know, how the drafts change. I think this year's crazy draft, top 18 picks are already locked. And mm-hmm. the Bears being the top pick, I think this is the most – likely the top pick is to be traded in a long time. Uh, I mean, long time, long time. I mean, the bears are saying that it's not a done deal. They're going to stick with fields, but that's also to probably drive up the asking price of the number one pick. Rightfully so. Um, You know, with Houston at two and Indy at four, obviously needing quarterbacks should be interesting. There are consensus top four guys that'll probably go. But then after that, you know, five on is going to be, you know, no one's going to know, really. It could change. That We could know top five, top six guys. But as of now, we got a top four and nothing else uh, in terms of what order guys could go. And even the top four, we don't know what order. Uh, we just know who. But that's pretty much it. Uh, this episode, we're going to be recapping conference championship games in college football, the college football playoff, the New Year's Six Bowls, and the NFL playoff preview and predictions to round out the episode. Uh, so if you want to kick us off, we're going to start with conference championship games where we're going to mention the Power Five conferences along with the AAC. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll get I'll get it started here with the Pac-12 championship game. That was the first game of, I guess, the group, the six you know championship games we're going to talk about here. Um, Utah and USC uh, played up in uh, Las Vegas at the uh, Legion. Was it was at the Legion Stadium, is the new stadium there in Vegas, what it's called. Um, great game early. Uh, Utah ended up winning 42, or, sorry, 47 to 24. Um, ending USC's college football playoff hopes. Um, 
Really good game early. Caleb Williams um, he gets a he kind of bangs up his hand, throwing her his throwing hand um, early in the game. Appears to be fine, and then he uh, suffered a pretty hindering hamstring injury. And at that point, it was um, all but over for the Trojans. Uh, Utah was able to kind of get up, get up in man coverage and, and bring the house. And uh, Caleb really couldn't move. Um, tough to see their season end that way in the regular season, but um, Utah absolutely mauled them in the second half. It wasn't even close. So um, props to the Utah staff. Kyle Whittingham's got a great program over there at Utah. And I think the Utah-USC rivalry, um, at least for the next two years, while both teams are still in the Pac-12, is going to be awesome. Um, you know, who knows where Utah ends up uh, long-term, you know, when USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. But um, awesome game in the first half, um, even early into the third quarter, and then kind of in the third quarter is when it got away from USC. But ended up overall, um, good game in the first half, just kind of got away to do the injury. I agree. Yeah, that was the lone Friday night game to kick off conference championship weekend. Honestly, a good game. I mean, the game during the regular season was really good. And, you know, it was kind of pretty even early on. I think it was 17-17 at half. I mean, even in the fourth quarter, it was 24-17 Utah. It was anyone's game. And then, like you said, in the fourth quarter, Utah kind of took over and scored 23. Uh, but Cam Rising is really impressive. I think he's a guy that flies under the radar uh, I mean, he's still a solid quarterback, but I think he'll be back next year. So impressive stuff yeah, from what he's, he's done. He, yeah, he announced he's and back then, this week, so he'll be yeah. he'll be he'll, he'll be back next year. Sorry, I don't want. Yeah, I'm excited off. to see. No, you're good. Uh, I, I'm excited to see how they progress um, with return. A lot of guys, obviously, starting with Rising, and then I think they lose Clark Phillips, um, a couple other guys, I'm sure. I mean, USC's returning a few guys, obviously losing Addison, but you're returning most of your team, um, most importantly, Caleb. So it should be fun to see these two teams battle it out again next year. And then I believe the following year is when uh, USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, right? Uh, two two more years. They go in 2025, so they'll have two more seasons to kind of duke it out. Um, but, yeah, so 2025 is the So they got two more seasons um, in the Big 12 or hey, Big 12, Pac-12, sorry. I got you. Yeah, so that'll be fun to see uh, Pac-12, you know, normally a conference where football is kind of a little bit behind, at least the SEC and Big Ten. Um, but yeah, that game kicked it off. The next day we had the Big 12 Conference Championship up in Arlington at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Um, we had the Kansas State Wildcats and TCU Horned Frogs. Good game between two teams, you know, TCU really, I mean, there's or K-State, sorry, their starting quarterback, Adrian Martinez, was pretty much out the whole year. They had to ride with second and third string guys um, behind the center all season, pretty much, except for the first four games, I think. They played really well, even with their backup in Fort Worth during the regular season. I mean, it came down to the end, as did pretty much every other TCU game, except for the one last night. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Duggan put the team on his back yet again in that uh, championship game. K-State ended up winning uh, 31-28 in overtime uh, with a field goal to win it. But yeah, Duggan scored, I think, last-minute touchdown. And it was looking good for the Horned Frogs. And then just blew it at the end. I know K-State was up 11 in the fourth, so it looked like it was going to be another TCU comeback. But that was a good game to watch, uh, one of the closer ones on Conference Championship weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was a great game. Um, you, knew, you knew TCU was going to come back and battle back in that fourth quarter. Um, I mean, you talk about what was, what was an almost Heisman moment, um, you know, for Max Duggan. 
Um, you know, the guy out West, Caleb Williams, obviously won the Heisman, but um, if Doug was going to have a Heisman moment, it was that fourth quarter drive, um, almost, you know, with time expiring, basically to lead TCU down. Uh, they get a touchdown. He ran for his life. I mean, after he scored that touchdown, he was in the end zone, literally laying down. So he was so exhausted. Um, got back up, ran in the two-point conversion, ties the game at 28, sent it to OT. Obviously, they came back out in overtime, and they were just, they were, honestly, I think they were gassed. That offense was tired. They were uh, mentally tired, physically tired. And they just committed a couple mistakes. Um, I believe they turned, did they go for it? They went for it on fourth and goal, didn't they? Yep. That's right. Um, and then can't they get can't stick it to stop. And all that needed was a couple of yards to kick a field goal. But it was a great game. Um, really great way to kick off the Saturday games. That was the first game. Um, it was a noon game. So it was a great way to kick off the, the weekend. Um, I guess the, the Saturday day, full day of games. But um, next up after that, I believe this was an evening game with the Big Ten title game where Michigan rolled Purdue, um, dominated them in the most fast. It's 43 to 22. Um, classic Michigan game. It was tighter, you know, tighter in the first quarter and second in the in the second quarter, but um, kind of over time as they had the whole year, that offensive line and, and just the front um, for them offensively, kind of the run game took over and um, they wore down Purdue and ended up kind of pulling away in, in the second half. Um, you know, great game. Another really good game from Donovan Edwards after that Ohio State game that he he you know kind of made a name for himself in that one. Um, but again, Michigan kind of just beating up on an inferior team. I want to say it was what 13 14 at halftime and then Michigan again set third quarter um you know goes to a two touchdown lead and it was kind of wraps from there but um yeah it's not much to say there other than typical Michigan game um tight in the half and then kind of pulled away with that run game in the second half yeah at the end of the third quarter it was 28 16 yeah i mean honestly it took a while for both teams to get going and obviously Purdue never really got going uh scoring 22 wasn't bad it's just when you're playing Michigan Basically, I mean, it's it was kind of a neutral site being at Lucas Oil, pretty much the same distance for both teams. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Donovan Edwards, the sophomore, um, 25 carries, 185 yards. Uh, another really impressive game from him. Thought he was going to keep it up. Um, but, you know, TCU had other plans and what was one of the sh- more shocking games. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, J.J. McCarthy played pretty well. I mean, he only Attempted 17 passes, 161 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw a pick. Um, I mean, I mean, three touchdowns, not bad in the Big to- Big Ten championship game. Um, I mean, it was kind of weird, the Big Ten this year. Purdue making the championship with four losses, I believe. It was kind of unfortunate. That's what happens when you do divisions within conferences. You have a lesser team playing in the title game. You see it in the SEC. Not, not quite as much in the SEC, but you're still normally not getting the two best teams going against each other in the conference title due to the two divisions you have within the conference. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a good game for a while there. Uh, enjoyed watching that one. It was going on uh, the same time as the ACC title game. So I had them both going, uh, but jumping into the next one, the SEC championship LSU at Georgia. Um, seemingly it seemed like Georgia played half their games at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They played the kickoff against Oregon. They played yeah. the title game, and then they played the nat- or the semifinal game there. So three massive games they got to play at a home field that was technically a neutral site uh, on their way to a 13-0 national title. You know, Stetson Bennett did what he's done all year, high completion percentage, can use his legs. Uh, he had four touchdowns in the title game. They won 50-30. to 30 over what was once a playoff hopeful LSU Tiger team. Um, it really wasn't close from the jump. It was 35-10 to 10 at half. 
Um, not a, not a huge day from Brock Bowers. Six catches, 81 yards, touchdown. Uh, about what you'd expect from him. But I think what was the big thing for Georgia this year was they could use other guys. I mean, they had more weapons than people realized, and they had a solid run game when they needed it. I mean, Stetson was pl- always like on the go when he needed to be, and I don't think a lot of teams respected his ability as a runner as much as they should have. Yeah, I mean, Kendall Milton, too, Kenny McIntosh. Um, the running back duo that I really like one in the year that they were slept on. But you mentioned it. Just just the plethora of weapons. Um, you know, when you're not throwing a Brock Bowers, you're throwing a Lad McConkey, who, you know, came onto the scene this year and had a great year. A.D. Mitchell, who um, is going to have a really big year next year and be draft eligible in 24. Um, Darnell Washington, who's an absolute alien of a human being. I mean, the guy's six foot seven. Um, 260 pounds, and he he's a, he's a sixth tackle up. He's a sixth offensive lineman out there blocking. Um, freak athlete with the ball in his hands. So j- just such a unique offense for Georgia that's just so hard to stop. Um, so multifaceted. Um, you got to give Cesar Bennett his flowers. I mean, 274 and four touchdowns. Um, 23 or 29 is incredible. So um, you know, while the guy may not be the flashiest quarterback out there, he gets the job done, and he got the job done for Georgia in a game that um, really was, I mean, it was 35-7 to 7 in the second quarter. It was wrapped pretty early. Um, obviously, LSU, um, nothing official, but obviously some off-the-field extracurriculars kind of going on there in Atlanta that we probably won't get into the details on this podcast. Um, a little too not family-friendly enough for this pod. Um, but, yeah, just an LSU team that um, really, like you said, playoff hopeful until the week prior when – they lose a shocking game in College Station to the Aggies, which uh, to an Aggie team that, quite frankly, was the most disappointing team in college football this year. So um, I, I just think it goes to show that the the youth that is the LSU team, as well as just the inexperience that they had in big games. Um, I, don't get me wrong. They're going to be a contender next year with Brian Kelly. Um, they'll be back. They're going to be better. Um, but again, this one was Georgia's from the get almost. I mean, um, you know, the defense was suffocating. I don't think any starters played in the second half for the most part on defense. So um, typical Georgia game this year for the most part. I mean, dominated the ball first half and let the defense kind of do its thing. And then second half, they just coasted to a, a 20 point win. That was at one point a 28 point lead. So um, that was, uh, you know, look. The score looks more competitive than it really was. Obviously, a 20-point win is, is pretty solid, but um, doesn't really show the sheer domination that Georgia really had in that game. But uh, we'll get on to another game that was really dominated by one team, um, to a 39-10 final in the Clemson uh, victory over UNC in the ACC title game. Um, they play this where the Panthers play, correct? Was it Bank of America Stadium? Is that, is that right? Yep. That's what I thought. Yep. I think this is the only game of all these that gets played outdoors, which I love. Um, Clemson rolled. Uh, kind of a K club coming out party uh, for Clemson, for him. Um, DJ got benched pretty early on, I believe. Uh, is it, again, a tight game early, um, you know, 14 to seven going into the, going into the second quarter. Um, but after that, it was all Clemson, all came up Clemson in a 39 to 10 victory. Um, you know, a 98 yard pick six for Clemson. Um, you know, Will Shipley, another great game on, on the ground. Um, Clay, K Klubnick. You know, with, with a touchdown on the on the ground, 279 through the air, 20 to 24 is great and a touchdown. Um, you know, the question for Clemson is going to be, and as we saw in the in the, in the Tennessee game, is what's the line going to look like next year, um, and are they going to replace the defense? I think 10 point. Obviously, that that and we'll get to it here pretty quick. Um, the Clemson Tennessee game, but uh, you know that defense looked a hell of a lot different um, in, in this game than they did. It looked great. Uh, no opt outs in this game. Obviously, it's a conference championship game. 
Um, so the defense played great. Um, definitely a game we're going to have to go have to go back and watch when we get to edges and IDLs um, with Brzee and Miles Murphy and KJ Henry and all those guys. So, um, but yeah, I mean, an overall dominating game. Um, UNC got shut out in the second half, which is really impressive considering the offense that they boast. Um, not a great game from Drake May, 20, 26 of 42, 268 and two interceptions. So certainly a great game from that Clemson defense. And then uh, kind of throw this in there as a guy who we may get on get to on Friday, Josh Downs. Um, despite the, the lackluster performance from the team, still did, still played well with 11 receptions and 100 yards receiving. So I um, wanted to get that stat in there for as well. Yeah, I was going to say, he is a guy that could sneak into the top five a wide receivers. Kind of a guy not quite as many people are talking about in terms yeah, of the absolutely. wide receiver prospects. Um, but yeah, you mentioned it. Not really a close game. Uh, DJ Uyunglele got benched uh, shortly after he transferred to the Oregon State Beavers. And which was really the only West Coast school that didn't have their quarterback already set. Um, UCLA flipped a five-star freshman. Bo Nix returning to Oregon. USC obviously is set with Caleb and then the five-star uh, Malachi Nelson coming in. So that was really his only option. Um, but, you know, that was the right move for him. Right move by Dowd to put Cade in as he had, you know, over four yards a carry on the ground and 279 on 24 passes, which is really good. Um Two total touchdowns for him. But man, it, it seemed like it could be a good game in the first quarter. Uh, even the second quarter, they were pulling away a little bit. Clemson was. Um, and then really the second half is where it ended. Um, you know, two third quarter touchdowns by Clemson, including a pick six. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fun game to watch, like I said. Regardless of what the score was, conference championship game uh, going on the same time as the Big Ten game was. But to round out our conference championship game recaps, uh, we had the AAC, which is the American Athletic Conference uh, championship game going on with the UCF Knights and Tulane Green Wave. Um, they played in New Orleans at Tulane Stadium as I think in that conference, the higher seed hosts the game. Yeah. So was, I didn't watch much of it. I watched a few drives. Um, but I mean... It looked like a really good game. It was close early on, obviously. Um, Ty J. Spears had a huge game with 22 carries, 199 on the ground. Tulane just had the guys. Um, UCF didn't. It was really good down to, the, honestly, the fourth quarter. I think it was 24-14 going into the fourth. Tulane ended up winning 45-28 uh, with a 21-point fourth quarter. You know, with these group of five teams, obviously UCF is going to be uh, power five joining the Big 12 here pretty soon. But I think with these group of five teams, they need all the attention they can get. Um, you know, these conferences, you look at the group five conferences, was probably like the Sun Belt, um, Conference USA, conferences like that need the attention. And I think this game being played with the other big games was big for them, big for this conference, big for these teams specifically. Um but yeah, Tulane had a great season, uh, the biggest turnaround ever, I think, from a team uh, from the year before. What was it, like an eight-win improvement or something like that? Um, yeah, something crazy. Really impressive stuff from them um, across the whole year, especially to close it out. Yeah, um, again, and he said an incredible turnaround from a Tulane team that was in the gutter the last couple seasons and um, going to 11-2 and two this year. With a with a with a New Year's six or I guess twelve and two with a New Year's six bowl win, um, 
that we're gonna get to in a minute. But um, Tajay Spears, really good, really good back, had a great game. Um, a guy who we're probably gonna talk about when we get to our running back top fives, whether he's in the top five or not, I'm not really sure. But a guy who should he declare is gonna get some attention from NFL teams for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that's not a ton to talk about in this game. Again, I didn't really watch it. Um, you know, I was watching the ACC game and the Big Ten game, but like you said, um, tight. It was a pretty tight game for the first three quarters, and then and the in the second or I guess the fourth quarter rather. Um, Tulane kind of just kind of pulled away at the end. Um, again, a great game. Forty-five points is is a lot of points considering they lost to this team earlier in the year. So good job to avenge a loss from Tulane and kind of get rolling going into bowl season. Um, and then before we get into the semifinals here, I did want to just say, uh, just saw this on Twitter, um, that Alex Grinch is going to be retained at USA as a defense coordinator. Certainly a shocking move. Not one that I thought would happen um, after giving up 10 yards per play against Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. Um, and then, you know, gave up 93 points total over the last two games um, of the season. And then in that Utah game, just the, the abysmal defense they played at the end, giving up, what, like 200 yards receiving to a tight end, which... Dalton Dalton Kincaid's a great tight end and a guy who's going to be in our top five, but uh, when we get to tight ends eventually, but um, you know how do you not just cover that guy? I'm not really sure. Um, I know I, I know they have the athletes on the defense to do it, so uh, a little shocking there. Um, not a move that I'm thrilled about as an SC fan, but um, you know nonetheless they're going to have to rock with it next year and kind of keep going. But um, we'll we'll kind of keep going here on the pod and get into the New Year's Six Bowls. Um, so on the, on the in semifinals on New Year's Eve, we had TCU and Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl, Georgia and Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. Uh, we'll start it off with the game, the first game that took place uh, of the semifinals, the Fiesta Bowl, where TCU edged out Michigan 40, 40, 51 to 45. Pardon me. Um, man, an absolute shootout, a barn burner. Um, it looked like TCU was going to shock the world and, and run away with the game when they were up, what, 14 nothing early. Um, Michigan kind of comes storming back in the second half. Um, Controversial call at the end with a target with a no call on targeting to end the to end the drive for Michigan. Um, kind of trying to go down the field and score a touchdown and tie it and then kick a, kick a PAT to go up one point. But um, nonetheless, a great game, uh, an incredible defensive game plan for TCU in the first half. Um, really had something figured out, uh, kind of to stop the run and to force Michigan to throw the ball. But um, a couple of controversial calls. Uh, you know, there was the touchdown or no touchdown early in the first half. Um, you know, which I thought was a touchdown. I think most thought it was a touchdown. Um, just hard to overturn the call on, that, on the field. But um, nonetheless, TCU with a great performance. Um, you know, I will say Michigan, and I say this just because of what happened last night. I mean, Michigan probably played their worst first half, worst half football all year in the first half. Um, got way too cute on the goal line. Uh, obviously a really bad pick six from, from J.J. McCarthy. Um, it was uncharacteristic of him as a guy who, what, turned the ball over three or four times this year. So part of that game. So just, another, you know, two pick sixes, uncharacteristic um, offensive game for, for Michigan just being kind of sloppy. Um, and just look, they looked unprepared for what TCU was going to bring to the table. But um, nonetheless, ended up being a great game, barn burner, um, and will turn out to be a great semifinal match, both two great semifinal games. Yeah, it seemed like Michigan wasn't sticking to the game plan. They're trying to get too cute. And I mean, lining up a linebacker for a goal line set to get the carry uh, is just crazy, and it's not something that happens if you have Blake Corum on the field. It's not like Donovan Edwards is that much worse. I mean, I don't know why they didn't stick with the same plan as if Corum was there. Uh, they likely would have won the game. I mean, even when TC was up big for a little bit, Michigan came back, I think, down 17 or something, 
and they made it a game. I mean, only losing by six and what was 96 combined points. You look at the quarterback battle, like you said, J.J. McCarthy with a couple bad decisions. Uh, McCarthy had five more attempts and six more completions, 118 more yards. But they had the same number of touchdowns and interceptions. Amari DiMarcado with a massive game, 150 yards, 17 carries, um, something like nine yards a carry or something. Impressive, obviously, uh, one of the top receivers in the draft, Quentin Johnson as well, um, had one of his big games. He had a big uh, slant route that there was some miscommunication on switching by the Michigan DBs, took it to the house. I think it was like, I can't remember how long it was. Uh, I want to say 60 seven, yards. Seven, 76. It was on it was like a third and third and four, third and five. Broke, he was one tackle to break, and he broke the ankle tackle and housed it. Um, yeah, it was a back, total backbreaker for Michigan. Right, yeah. It was tough for Michigan. They obviously didn't play up to their potential. Uh, they didn't even play their average game of the year. Uh, definitely their worst game of the year on every uh, in every facet. Uh, I mean, congrats to TCU going undefeated to this point. You know, their only loss being the Natty, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Going un- undefeated in a conference in which pretty much all their wins were down to the wire. And you look at the Baylor game. They ran the field goal team out on the field in the last second, kicked it with no time left. They didn't have any timeouts. A lot of other games were like that, not quite to that extent. Um, but a really impressive game here from TCU in a game that I don't think many teams picked to win this game, let alone make the playoff. But, they, I mean, they had to put him in the playoff just based off. Looking back, you're like, oh, why didn't you put Bama in? Bama would have beat TCU. I mean, Michigan definitely deserved the playoff. Undefeated team. They beat Iowa, Ohio State. They won the Big 12 championship. And here they are not winning a game in a game that they should have. Um, in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, they were favored by seven and a half. I don't know. It was a tough line. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely everyone thought Michigan would win this, um, as did the game that we're talking about next here, um, the Peach Bowl. Uh, Peach Bowl was Ohio State-Georgia, the other semifinal game. Crazy game from start to finish. Um, started right after the TCU-Michigan game wrapped up. Peach Bowl played in Atlanta, Georgia, so basically a home game for the Bulldogs there as Ohio State had to travel south. Really good game. Uh, Like I said, Marvin Harrison, who looks like the wide receiver one next year. Uh, You know, obviously things can change. But that was a great game as well. Stetson Bennett and C.J. Stroud, uh, specifically C.J. Stroud, played really well. You know, Bryce Young had a Heisman quality game, and C.J. Stroud came back right after and followed it up with the same kind of game. Didn't really put uh, QB1 conversations to bed at all. Uh, they both stated their case pretty firmly um, on New Year's Eve. It was a fun game. I think what we expected was to George, for Georgia to win, but with that Ohio State offense, you never really knew what the scoring would look like and what the Georgia defense, we didn't know. I mean, obviously Georgia winning 42-41 is high scoring, and I don't think – Many people expected that because it was really strength against strength and was just going to see what strength would prevail. Um, And it was obviously the Ohio State Buckeyes offense. Not much rushing. Ohio State's leading rusher, nine carries, 43 yards. Emeka Buka had 112 yards. Marvin Harrison played really well before getting hurt in the second half, which likely costed them the game. Um, You know, you look at how they kind of have to call plays differently and how Georgia DBs line up differently based off you can just man guys up. Even put a guy over a Buka, Fleming can be manned. It's just kind of unfortunate for them. And they, you know, Noah Ruggles hooks a field goal hard left. Um, 
and he honestly missed it. I think it was like a second within the new year um, local time. So that was crazy as well. Nonetheless, I think the game everyone wanted to see between these two powerhouses, and it it was pretty clear after this game that these two teams were above TCU and Michigan. Yeah, I think talk about a barn burner again. Easily the two best semifinal games we've ever had. Um, absolutely ruined by what happened last night and what I would call a massacre um, that we'll get to here in a little bit. But um, I said this to my dad and my grandpa um, watching the game with them and, and then on a trip to Los Angeles to go watch the Chargers game. But watched it with them. Um, obviously, had a great time with, with them. Always a good time hanging out with them. But I said it to my dad and, and my grandpa that, Man, C.J. Stroud took a sledgehammer to every negative draft take about him. Every negative take that there was about C.J. Stroud that my, I had myself was he took a sledgehammer and a jackhammer to it and, and said, what next? Um, I'd love to see it. I think C.J. Stroud's a great dude. He's a great kid. Um, awesome guy. Again, I'm never rooting against these guys. Um, I've said it plenty of times on this podcast. I love watching these young guys succeed. I want everybody picked in the draft to succeed. Maybe except the guys who go to the Raiders, but that's another conversation. Um but again, I'm rooting for all these guys to succeed. I'm never praying on anybody's downfall in the NFL and for these kids in college. Um, like, and, and I was I was so happy for CJ the game that he had. Um, again, I, I was pretty, you know, especially after the performance Bryce had um, against Kansas State, just a special special performance for Bryce. I was uh, I was pretty firm in the fact that Bryce was not going to be even. No one's going to come close to Bryce as, as QB two um, in the race for QB one, but. Um, CJ absolutely made a case as to why he could be QB one. Um, you know, for myself, it's going to take some deeper tape watching. Um, we'll probably get to quarterbacks later in, into our rankings because of that. Um, but again, it just a masterful performance from CJ Stroud, not much else he could do again. When Marvin Harrison jr. Goes down, um, they definitely took a hit offensively. It's just hard. Um, you know, that guy's unguardable. You can't play man coverage. And that guy's in the field. And I'm um, as good as Amika Buka and Julian Fleming are, they're just not Marvin Harrison Jr. Nobody is. So, um, and a great game from the Georgia offense. I was really impressed by Stetson Bennett's ability to lead the offense and respond to Ohio State going up, what, 14 nothing early or something like that. So, um, or I think they went up 21 to 7 is what it was. So, just an impressive response from the Georgia team that I did not know if they had in them. Georgia hadn't seen adversity like that all year. I mean, they saw it against Mizzou. But, I mean, it's Mizzou. It's not It's not Ohio State. It's not. They don't have a C.J. Stroud. They didn't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. on the team. So, really impressive response from Georgia. Um, very mature game from Setson Bennett that I didn't know if he had in him. Um, like I guess the guy gave him his flowers. He played great. Um, the Georgia offense responded really well. And, um, you know, I, I feel bad for Ohio State that they missed. But you gotta you got to give Noah Ruggles a better shot than a 50-yarder. He's an incredible kicker. And I hate that that's going to tarnish his legacy as a kicker at Ohio State because he's been awesome for them. Um, you know, it's going to get tarnished by – what really was a shank and a 50 yarder, um, you know, as the ball dropped for New Year's, but on the East Coast. But man, you got to give the kid an easier shot than 50 yards. I mean, that's not a chip shot for an NFL kicker. It's an impressive kick for an NFL guy. So for a college kid, um, you know, I know he hit from 48 earlier in the game. But you got to give him a better look than 50. But again, um, it was a phenomenal game. It was an two epic semifinals that, um, you know, we hadn't had, we'd never had two like that in a long time. It obviously had. You know, the Ohio State-Clemson games and some finals that were always, you know, barn burners. But, um, you know, there was always – the other game was always a blowout, um, typically with an Alabama team just beating up on somebody. But, um, yeah, really, like I said, a great game. Um, and overall, so happy for C.J. Stroud the way he played uh, in that game. But we'll keep it pushing here. We'll get to the New Year's Six Bowls. 
Uh, we'll run through these a little quicker. Again, these just most of these weren't very close um, aside from the Cotton Bowl. But we'll start with the Orange Bowl. Uh, two orange teams, uh, Tennessee Vols rolled the Clemson Tigers 31 to 14 in a game that, um, you know, quite frankly, the scoreboard did not does not express the, the outer dominance that, that took place there. Um, a lot of opt outs for Clemson, uh, you know, up front of the front seven for them on the defense. A couple opt outs on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I think Cade Club, Cade Club, Cade Clubnick, kind of a tongue twister there for Cade's name. But um, I don't think he's ever seen that much pressure in his life going back to his days at Westlake High School in Austin, Texas. Um, I mean, he was under severe duress that whole game. Um, certainly did not play his best game. I think that was kind of the welcome to the show game for him, if you will. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to come back, watch the tape from that game, and get a hell of a lot better this this offseason, come out as a great quarterback for Clemson next year, and year two for him. Um, you know, that's a lot of overreactions from the Clemson fan base on benching DJ and letting him transfer and going with Cade. Um, like it's a really a really good Tennessee team that held Georgia to 20 what 27 points. Um, a really good Tennessee defense, really 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 well coached Tennessee team. Um, and talk about uh, Milton, man, he looked phenomenal in in for that offense. And and they he showed I think the country that that they're here to stay next year and that he's going to have them in a really good spot next year. Um, so yeah, I think while they're going to lose some talent, obviously you lose Hendon Hooker, Donnell Wright, uh, their left tackle. Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, both going to be gone, but um, I'm counting on Josh Heupel to get them back into the into the mix back here and back next year and back kind of into the fold as a competitor on the national stage. Yeah, this Orange Bowl between two Orange teams, coincidentally, um, a game. I mean, six seed versus seven seed. Thought it'd be a good game. I thought Clemson would honestly win even with a few opt outs. I mean, you upgrade a quarterback. Cade's first start as a you know, Orange Bowl, arguably a top four bowl game. Joe Milton balled out, like you said, 251 with three touchdowns on 28 throws. Uh, Cade threw the ball 54 times, which is something you never want to see, especially from a guy in his first start. Um, yeah. Just trying to will them back into the game with his arm. Didn't work out great for him. Um, no touchdowns for Cade running or passing, uh, but he did have 320 yards and two interceptions. But, yeah, Joe Milton balled. Um I mean, I think this game further magnified the need for some legit receivers for Clemson. Um, Absolutely. I don't think – I don't know who's going to transfer who's in the portal that's a big name, um, but they need some guys, and they need more than one. I think they – I mean, the, I think the ACC next year is theirs to lose, even with the guys they're losing, just looking at the conference. Obviously, North Carolina's going to be in it. Florida State. I don't know if they can do it though. We'll see. I, again, we got a long, we got a lot of transfers to happen, a lot of guys to go, but um, yeah, I think you're you're probably right. It's probably Clemson Stokes. I just think they have the biggest market now with what they've done going to the playoffs so many years, and they now have a really good quarterback again. Obviously, you know, since Trevor, this is the best they have, which was a couple years off of not ideal quarterback play and a for a program like that but they're building it back up offensively and i think they'll be just fine whether their defense takes a step back or not i guess we'll just wait and see you figure they do early on and then turn it around or at least turn it up um as the season progresses but yeah good game from tennessee all around uh, defense played great obviously forcing two interceptions and allowing only two touchdowns or one touchdown sorry in the fourth quarter but yeah it was interesting Game, I didn't think that 
Tennessee would win by three scores. Definitely something that surprised me, but it was a fun game to watch. We're going to progress with our New Year's Six Bowl recap. We're going to jump into the Sugar Bowl here where it was the Alabama Crimson Tiders, Kansas State Wildcats, always an SEC versus Big 12 game. And for the second consecutive year, it was the Big 12 champion that was playing in this game. Um, as Kansas State edged out TCU, like we mentioned, in the Big 12 title game. Wasn't really close. Um, you look at, you know, Kansas State was up 10-7 at the end of the first quarter, but I think Bama only had two possessions. And you look at Bama being up 21-10 at half, and then they just blew them out in the second half, 24-10. Um, to So when you add that up, that's a 45-20 to final. Um, really a dominant performance, stating their case of why they should have been in the college football playoff. Because meanwhile, they beat – Kansas State by 25, and Kansas State beat TCU in the title game. So add that up, and that goes to show you that Bama um, should have been the playoff, honestly. They didn't really have the receivers this year that they normally do, especially a few years ago. Jameer Gibbs played pretty well. Uh, not his best game, but he played well. And then Bryce Young, man, he balled out. I think he was like 15 to 17 at one point, and then he uh, four incompletions to end his day. But he... Didn't play the whole game, only 15, 15 to 21, but he had 321 yards and five touchdowns. So they scored six total touchdowns and a field goal. Um, just all around complete game performance from the Crimson Tide. And I feel bad for K-State, man. They have a quarterback carousel, it seems, the whole season, just with injuries, similar to Texas Tech. Deuce Vaughn played well, 22 carries, 133 yards. Obviously, 88 of that was on one carry. Um He's elusive. He should be a fun projection at the next level, as he declared last week. But I think I thought this would be a good game. Another one, just like the Orange Bullet, I thought it could be close. I thought Kansas State could give him a game, and it just wasn't that. Alabama just proved why they're really the um, poster program for you know what you want for a college football program year to year. Yeah, I think um, you, you kind of started it off with Bama, certainly, especially with they were what they, they were kicked off at noon, 11 a.m. So, you know, before both semifinal games get played, you go, man, Bama should have been in the playoff. Um, but, I mean, again, transitively, you can say that. But after the semifinal games you get, it's just hard to make the case. Again, um, would have been a looking back, we all thought, man, it'd be a great year for the BCS because you got it what seemed like two clear-cut teams that should have been in it, but with Michigan and Georgia. And then, um, you know, two really competitive semifinal games, I think, um, gives, gives people a taste of what could be with a 12-team playoff, which I'm excited about personally. I know you are as well. So, um, But this game, I mean, again, 10 nothing early. Um, you know, Bryce Young and Alabama respond um, pretty quickly after that Deuce Vaughn 88 or touchdown run. And um, from there, it was all Crimson Tide. Um, I mean, the Tide rolled after they went up, after they scored uh, and responded to go to tie the – or I guess put the game within three at 10-7. to seven. Um, I mean, Bryce Young dropping balls in buckets, dude. Everywhere on the field, every single throw. Um, I mean, this is the game that paints him as QB one, um, in my opinion, despite this performance from CJ Stroud in the Georgia game, which was um, on par with I think Bryce Young's performance in this game. I just, for me, what's going to separate, and it showed in this game, was just the the awareness and the football IQ that Bryce Young plays with, and the ability to just sit there and go read to read to read to read, all while maintaining pocket presence at an elite level and um, you don't see guys that are five foot, five foot eleven, five foot ten, um, you know, a buck eighty, 
with that kind of arm talent. I mean, he's got special arm talent. He was, like I said, dropping balls in buckets. I mean, putting them on 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 spots on the, on the field. So, um, can't say enough about Bryce Young in this game. Um, Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, set 15 for 76 on the ground. Um, solid game. Again, a lot of what he brings to the table is a lot in the receiving game. Uh, Jason McClellan, who's going to be the back next year for Alabama, um, with another great game as well for him. Um, so, you know, a lot of questions for Alabama next year. Obviously, they're going to reload, I think, um, as they always do with Nick Saban. But um, an incredible farewell game for Bryce, uh, for Will Anderson and Jameer Gibbs, uh, certainly for the for Crimson Tide. And then on the Kansas State side, like you said, um, you feel bad for the kind of the, the way the season ended for them. Um, it was a totally, uh, you know, flip flip the script season for them just in the Big 12. Um, yeah, if we give the flowers to Deuce Vaughn. He had a great game again. AD, our touchdown, really, really showed the speed there for him. Um, and what NFL teams are going to have to look at for him. But, um, yeah, we'll kind of keep it going here. Um, just to the Rose Bowl, which, um, you know, appeared to begin to be a great game early on. And, and then due to injury, it kind of just kind of pittered out late um, with Penn State getting Utah 35-21. Um, again, competitive early. I think Penn State got up 21-7, to but I think, George, or I think uh, Utah came back and responded. I'm actually I'm pulling it up right now so I can get this right. Um, but again, Cam Rising goes out with an injury. Um, I guess it was 14-14, and it tied it up. And then third quarter um, at halftime, or at halftime was 14-14. Third quarter, Penn State scores. Then I think, or late in the third quarter, I believe it was. Um, I was in the plane trying to watch this game. Um, the American Airlines little entertainment center they had going um, in the seats. Uh, I want to say it was late third quarter was when Cam Rising goes out, um, and the dam broke. In a, in a bad way for for them. Penn State goes up uh, 35-14 and um, what would have been a three-score victory if not for a, a touchdown pass um, with 25 seconds to go for Utah to make it 35-21. Um, surprisingly good game for Penn State. I mean, here's the thing. You get 87-yard touchdown and an 88-yard touchdown is, is a two bad breakers for the, for the Utah team. And I think, I think that 88-yard touchdown pass, the drive after Cam Rising goes out, was what broke the dam. I think it broke the will, and 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 as it does for a lot of guys, uh, a lot of teams, kind of kind of breaks the will of another team when that happens, and um, it was rushed from there. Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of this game. I think I watched probably the third quarter and part of the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. But I mean, it looked close. It looked like a good game, and then, like you said, once Rising gets hurt, uh, you know, Penn, Penn State scores 21 unanswered, and it's pretty much. Over, like you said, and then with the late touchdown from Utah, not a ton of big prospects in this game. It wasn't a really hyped. I mean, obviously it's the Rose Bowl, uh, but from a viewership standpoint outside of these fan bases, I don't think it was as hyped as other games just because of the lack of prospects. You obviously have Clark Phillips. Uh, I don't, did he opt out of this game? I don't think he did. I think he played. Um but like you said, more of a lackluster matchup, regardless of if Clark Phillips played or not. Right, right. I can check yeah, I mean, the box very few, while you, you kind of go over it. Very few high-quality prospects in this game. Um, you know, if Clark didn't play, if any, I don't think. A little bit shocking there. Um, the final score, but with Cam going out, Utah couldn't do anything offensively. So it's about what we expected, I guess, if Cam goes out. So... 35-21, 14-point win for the Nittany Lions there in the Rose Bowl. But earlier in the day, we had the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic up at Jerry World in Arlington. It was a really good game. I mean, this was 
the I mean outside of the semifinal games, this was the best game. Forty six to forty five Tulane. Um Really good game from Caleb, 462 with five touchdowns. He did throw a pick on 52 attempts. Um, Tajay Spears with another huge game, 17 carries, 205 yards, and four touchdowns. He was really their main source of offense. Um, you look at the course of the game, it was pretty back and forth. You know, USC goes up 14 nothing. Tulane responds immediately 14 all. USC 28 14, and then Tulane gets it to 28 24. And then you had USC go up 45 to 30 with four minutes left. And then it was crazy ending there in which Tulane took the lead with nine seconds left, kicked the extra point to go up one. Um, you know, they scored a touchdown, got a safety on USC and scored another touchdown in the last four minutes and seven seconds of the game, which is just absurd. Um, yeah, I don't think really anyone expected this. Everyone was picking USC to win, obviously, being a playoff contender going against a G5 team. But, man, respect for the G5. Uh, and Tulane did them proud, um, not only in the conference championship beating UCF, but in this game as well, and which was a crazy ending. Yeah, this one was painful. I think literally everybody else in America but me wanted wanted uh, Tulane to win. But um, I'll, I'll rep the Trojans um in the long haul um again but i'm happy for tulane it's an incredible turnaround for them like i said earlier going 12 and 2 with a, with a cotton bowl win um a heisman type game from caleb i mean what he threw for what was the box score on this um he threw for 462 yards uh <laughs> five touchdowns and a pick which was a great play um from a db a great jumping pick so um, you know, Brendan Rice, son of Jerry Rice, has a great game at, at six for 174 and two touchdowns. Um, again, in, in two of USC's three, three losses, they gave up 45 or more. And Caleb Williams, you know, nothing but watch on the sideline, um, you know, as the game ends. So it's tough. You feel bad for him. But again, you're happy for Tulane. Um, you know, I just thought that. Again, bad defensive play calling for SC down the stretch, but again, Tulane, the ability to battle. He said Tajay Spears, 17 for 205 and four touchdowns on the ground is maybe the best rushing performance I've ever seen in the Cotton Bowl, at least in the modern era of football, um, where running backs don't get 40 carries a game. So um, all the props in the world to Tulane um, for this. They gutted this one out. Um, and I hope that, I hope that the, this is, kind of does them well in the future. I hope that this puts them back on the map, and I hope that this – can can be fruitful. This game can this one can be a fruitful win, you know, in the future, and they can take this and 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 go forward from it with um, you know, with better recruits, better whatever. So um, but yeah, I think that's kind of it for the New Year's Six Bowls. Um, we'll get to the game last night, the national championship game where Georgia, like I said, committed a massacre against TCU, 65 to seven. Um, largest championship game margin of victory of all time. Um, 20 point 20, by by 20 plus points. Um. I mean, they blew it out of the water, the, the record for margin of victory in a national title game. 58-point margin of victory is wild, and quite frankly, they could have gotten into the 70s. Um, but they just they, they took a knee down late in the fourth quarter. So, um, I mean, what else do you say other than Georgia just was the best team in the country all year? Um, you know, TCU definitely didn't play their best game. Um, I think if you get, I think if you play this game 10 more times, this is not the result any other time. 
I still think Georgia wins probably nine or 10 of the 10 games, but um, total anomaly for TCU, I think, offensively. Um, defensively, you knew Georgia was going to score points against them, but um, didn't expect the TCU offense to be this lackluster. Um, I feel like they didn't get the ball to, to uh, Quentin Johnson enough. Um, again, a guy who was one of the best receivers in the country this year. Um, you know, he was their guy all year in big moments, and I just felt like they didn't get the ball to him enough. Um, Max Duggan was under immense pressure all night. Um, whether it was Jalen Carter or the supporting cast around him, that D-line was health. They were fresh. It, I mean, they were rotating six or seven guys the whole game. Um, Bullard with, what, two picks. Keeley had a great game. It's just a, a total domination from Georgia and, and literally every facet of, of, the, of the thought of the game. Of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, 65 to 7, a 58-point differential in which that 7 for TCU was scored on their second drive of the game in the first quarter. Uh, Brock Bowers with the game. Everyone was thinking he would have seven catches, 152, and a touchdown after not having a big impact in the semi. Played to perfection there. Uh, McIntosh, 8 for 50. Bennett only thrown the ball 25 times, um, 18 completions, 304 yards, and four touchdowns. He also had two touchdowns of rushing, so six total for him. Ties the all-time record in a natty uh, with Joe Burrow. But the thing is with Stetson is he didn't play the fourth quarter. Um, you know, their backup Carson Beck was in the game the whole time. Like you said, that last drive they could have punched in again to break 70, but they took a knee on TCU 20 or something. Um, you know, TCU's uncertainty with Kendra Miller really screwed them for this game. They didn't know. I think their game plan would have changed if they knew Kendra couldn't go. They were really forcing him. He was in full pads and jersey and everything in warm-ups, really trying to get out there, but not having him really hurt them. Uh, Johnson didn't have a big game. Davis had five for 101, but Amari DiMarcato, 14 for 59, about four a carry. Not great. Duggan throwing the ball 22 times for 152 and two picks is – not ideal. They didn't run him, I think, the way they wanted to either. And that's the problem when you go down big. You can't just run your quarterback. You need to push the ball through the air. And when your leading receiver had five catches, uh, that's not great either. So a lot of short possessions there for TCU. Um, you know, people say, oh, well, TCU, Kendra Miller was out. Well, Georgia was missing Nolan Smith, so that's pretty equal there. Um, but, I mean, TCU turned the also, ball over three times. I'll say this. Kendra Miller's not making the 58 points. Sorry, guys. No. It ain't making the difference. No. Georgia could have been missing two other guys on defense, and it wasn't making the difference in this game. Agreed. I mean, Kendra had 1,400 yards on the season, which is really good, um, even being in the Big 12. When you turn the ball over three times and the opposing team turns it over zero, that's all you need to know, uh, let alone, in addition, Georgia outgained TCU by 401 yards. Uh, they had 589, even without their starters playing the second half. They had the ball for 37 of the 60 minutes, and they had 32 first downs to TCU's nine. Um, so a recipe for a disaster there for TCU. Uh, when you get dominated in every facet of the game, you're going to get dominated on the scoreboard as well. That's what happened to round out the 2022 college football season. Um, you know, looking forward to next year, obviously. Uh, maybe a weaker draft across the board in terms of guys that are leaving. Um, so maybe not as big of a drop off as you might expect year to year in college football um, quality of talent, but teams recycle guys so easily nowadays, especially with the portal and NIL and stuff like that. So I'm expecting another big season next year is next year is the 
final year of the four-team playoff, and when it expands to 12, should be really exciting to see who who gets in, what they favor in terms of conferences and stuff like that. Um, that's it for college. We're going to jump to NFL, round it out. I can start with the AFC, and then we got the NFC after that. Um, but yeah, this past season, or this past Sunday, excuse me, the NFL regular season wrapped up uh, with the Lions and Packers playing a night game in which the Lions won it, eliminating the Green Bay in Lambeau and allowing Seattle to clinch that final spot in the NFC playoffs. Uh, but in terms of AFC, yet again, the Kansas City Chiefs clinched the one seed and will have a first round bye and have home field throughout the playoffs, which means whoever they face in the division will be at Arrowhead. And if they win that, then they will host the AFC championship game. And if they win that, they'll be headed to the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona at the home of the Arizona Cardinals. Um, should be fun to see AFC playoffs. Um, three of the six wildcard games we have this weekend are divisional matchups as well. Yeah. I mean, talk about the chiefs getting the bye. I mean, it's it, tough down the stretch again with, with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills game in week 16 or week 17, rather, um, kind of changes that up a little bit. But um, nonetheless, KC is deserving of the buy at a great year. Um, so the first matchup of the week over the AFC, the two-seeded Buffalo Bills are going to be hosting the seven-seeded Miami Dolphins in the rubber match for these two teams. Um, this, they went, they split the regular season, right? Am I tripping? Yes, they did. Okay, that's what I thought. Just want to make sure. Um, but yeah, so the rubber match for these two teams um, is a Sunday game at noon. Um, I don't think this is going to be particularly close. I think this Buffalo team is going to be emotionally supercharged up um, with DeMar being home. Um, probably in attendance at the game. Probably up in a box, I would assume, if he's going to be there. Um, you know, I hope he can make it. I have no idea what he's going to look like being home with his recovery, but... Um, I think this is a team on a mission. I don't think they're going to lose to anybody until they play Kansas City, maybe. Um, I think they're going to roll Miami, especially if is not going to play, which it sounds like he's not going to. Um, you know, whether they roll out Teddy Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson to replace him, it, it ain't going to be enough against this Bills team. Um, so a game that aren't really needs to be particularly close um, in Buffalo getting to host a game in the divisional next week. Yeah, a game where the line is 9.5 right now. I assume that goes even higher if is declared out. Um, but yeah, big game for Buffalo at home. Miami's having to travel north. We didn't mention last week, uh, the first play of Buffalo's game was a kickoff return touchdown, which was just crazy. Um, yeah. And it was three years and three months, which is DeMar Hamlin's number three since their last kick return touchdown, which is insane. And they also had, they also had a later one or another one later in the game. Um, so two in the same game was big for Naheem Hines. And who was traded mid-season at the deadline, um, which was under the radar acquisition there for the Bills, has really paid dividends for them, especially on special teams. Um, but yeah, that game shouldn't really be that interesting. I'd be shocked if it was a 10-point game. Thinking about 17-20 to 20, uh, point win for the Bills, as of now, if Tua doesn't play. Another game that could ride on a starting quarterback, playing or not, is the three-seeded Cincinnati Bengals hosting division rival, Six seed Baltimore Ravens. Uh, it's the Sunday night game kicking off at 715. Um, looking forward to it. Obviously, being a Ravens fan, I'm a little bit worried about it. And I mean, the whole situation with Lamar is probably going to be the headline of the offseason across the NFL. Easily the biggest name free agent out there. So he's going to command likely the biggest contract in NFL history. 
probably guaranteed and total uh, average annual value. It's going to be crazy uh, what he ends up signing for with what team I do believe it's going to be the Ravens right now. Um, but yeah, this game should be fun. Even if Lamar doesn't play, I think the Ravens could make a game if their defense comes to play. You know, last week in which they were in Cincinnati as well um, this past Sunday, they lost 27-16. They had their third string QB out there as their backup QB, Tyler Huntley, was out with shoulder tendonitis. Um, looking forward to it. Like I said, they rested a lot of guys, so it couldn't really take anything out of that game. Obviously going into the game with a fake game plan as well. Um, so we could see a totally different game this week. The line is seven right now for Cincy. Um, I think that's going to hinge on if Lamar plays or not. But I'm going to be excited to watch this one. And regardless of who's a quarterback, uh, it's a divisional game, so you never know what can happen. I mean, we've seen that a number of times this year in which, you know, divisional games, it seems like one team's so much better than the other. And then the worst team ends up winning and it ends up paying dividends um, and proves to be big down the stretch of the season. So now it's a win, win or go home. And I think there will be a lot of energy there at Paycor Stadium. Yeah, like you said, um, similar to that Buffalo Bills Miami Dolphins game, going to ride on whether or not Lamar plays. Um, if Lamar does play, I think it's going to be a great game, and I think Baltimore really could pull the upset. I think this team looked good last week, better than they should have with a third-string quarterback against the Bengals. I think with Lamar back, could make all the world's difference. Um, should Lamar not play, I think this game's not going to be again, probably not going to be particularly close. I don't think Cincinnati kind of pulls takes the foot off the gas the way they did in the second half of last week's game uh, against Baltimore. So, um, you know, I think the Bengals probably cruise to an easy win. If, if, if Lamar doesn't play, I hope they don't. Um, but again, it's just maybe ended up what it be, may end up being that way, just with the nature of the game. But again, if Lamar plays, I think it's going to be a great game. Um, total toss up. If he does play, um, the game will be toss up if he does play, but um, kind of moving forward to the next game, um, two teams that didn't look particularly great in their week 18 games. Um, you know, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars hosting the five-seeded Los Angeles Chargers um, Saturday night game. Obviously, Jacksonville, you know, winning in for them. They win. They win last. I guess well, they, they play Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night they win, yep. and they and they clinch the division. Um, and they're in. So, um, yeah, they've been sorry for the Chargers on, on on Saturday after or Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, playing in a game where they already knew what their fate is seating wise before the game started with the Ravens loss against Cincinnati. Um, end up playing the starters nearly the whole game, which I don't have enough time on this podcast to talk about why I was just so infuriated at that watching the game, um, you know, in Denver, that kind of thing. Again, probably not the real game plan uh, for most of the game. Uh, I guess the positive off that is that Justin Herbert looked incredible. Um, he was totally dealing, uh, you know, in that game. So, um, you know, Mike Williams sounds like he's going to be healthy. Joey Bosa should be good to go. Um, so those guys should got both guys who got banged up in the game should be playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, week three matchup between the two teams, it's vastly different than it is now um, with the health, of, the health of the Chargers and the mental state of the Chargers as well. So um, I'm going to take my team to win. I think it's going to be a great game between two young quarterbacks in the NFL who, you know, two future faces of the, of the league, definitely faces of their franchise um, in Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Herbert. So I'm going to go with my team to win. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, probably going to come down to late in the game like it seems every Chargers game does. Yeah, it's going to be close. I'm definitely picking the Chargers to win as well. Um, that whole AFC South is really weird this year. You know, obviously teams within that division beating up on each other, winning games they shouldn't, but outside the division didn't look any good against anybody. Um, so, yeah, for AFC, I think 
if Lamar doesn't play, which I think is slightly more likely, I think it's the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, and Chargers, in which Chargers would travel to KC, and Buffalo and Cincy would get a rematch, uh, which should be interesting. Uh, But as we go on to the NFC, we have the one-seeded Philadelphia Eagles. They have the bye this week. Really weird. Uh, They ended the season, I think, with three or four losses. Uh, Let's see. I think it was three. They were 14 and three. Yeah. Right, because if they lost and Dallas won, Dallas would have been the one seed, which is crazy to think about. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it looked like when Hurts was healthy that they were pretty – they were really – what am I trying to say? They were playing well-rounded games every week, offensively, defensively. They they didn't really have any weaknesses when Hurts was playing well. I mean, when you have Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Dallas Goddard and A.J. Brown, uh, I mean, it doesn't take much from a quarterback, Um, especially when he can run the way he does. You know, above average runner uh, definitely benefits them when they have a pass game like they do. Looking for a running back, but Boston Scott and Miles Sanders are pretty good running backs. Obviously, you can do better. I think they will go that way earlier in the draft this year. But, they, I mean, they have what you need. They have a really good O-line, really good defense all around. You know, you look at Darius Slay, um, Bradbury, Gardner Johnson. Um, you know, their front seven's really good. You have everything you need in a Super Bowl roster. I don't know if they get there just for the overall lack of experience. They have a couple of vets that have been there before. But overall, where it matters, they don't have experience. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that one and how they do throughout the playoffs. But they're off this week, and they're waiting to see who they play next sun, or next Monday, I think. I'll be bold and say it. The expectation for this team should be Super Bowl. Not win, but get there. That's the expectation for this team that it absolutely should be um, when they're fully healthy. Obviously, getting Jalen back is the big one. Um, you know, Obviously, Lane Johnson's health is another one that they need to keep an eye on, but they're going to get a whole week to rest this week and hopefully get him back on the field. But um, when this team's at full strength, the expectation is Super Bowl for them based on the way they play this year. Um, especially looking across the conference. I mean, I, I'll, I'll start it here with the, with the two-seeded Niners hosting the Seahawks, um, with the Niners obviously post, posing the biggest threat. But, um, I mean, the Brock Party Magic's going to run out at some point. Um, and should they play that Philadelphia Eagles defense, that's going to be a defense that he's that they have never seen before. It's going to be a team that they have not seen in, a cat, in which a caliber they just have not played. Um, and it's going to present a lot of challenges for Brock, I think. So, again, that, that's that's the team that, that poses the biggest threat to Philly, I think. But, again, um, like I said, I'll be bold and say that Philly's expectation is Super Bowl. But um, we'll kind of keep it moving here, and we'll get to the game here with the Niners and the Seahawks. Another divisional game, maybe the first game played is a Saturday afternoon game. Um, there's two games played Saturday, three games Sunday, one game on Monday night. Um, but I think this is a game that it, it's going to take a heroic performance from Geno Smith. And it's going to take a surprising performance from the from the Seattle defense to win this game. Um, my prediction is going to be that, that San Francisco wins this game. I think it's going to be tight. And people think I don't know what the spread. It's probably like six or seven. Nine I would and probably a half. take. Oh, give me Seattle in the points every time. That's an easy bet. Um, I just don't think it's going to be that bad for Seattle. I think they've got, you know, obviously they're not super healthy up front right now. But if they can get a little healthier up front this week. Um, I think they should have a good game again. It's just it's a divisional game. It's hard to pick spreads that big, um, but I think ultimately I, I do think San Francisco, you know, kind of closes it out with just an overwhelming amount of talent offensively between, you know, Debo, CMC, Kittle. Um, you know, that the whole line's really solid. Brandon Ayuk, one of the more stepped on receiver twos in the league. So, um, giving the Niners, it, it was a tighter game than most of you're going to expect. I think. 
Yeah, I definitely think San Fran is going to advance on to the divisional round. Um, I don't know if they're doing a good job making a nine and a half point spread in a divisional playoff game or not divisional, but two teams in the same division playing in a playoff game, not the divisional round um, as that is next weekend. But yeah, I think the Niners are winning this and I don't know how close it's going to be. I think it's going to be a one score game, but at the same time, you never really know. Uh, Seattle is kind of a boomer bust offense. And I think it's going to come down to how Seattle's defense plays, um, you know, how they hold San Fran's offense. If they can get it into a low scoring game, I think Seattle can win. But, I mean, you can't turn the ball over and you can't allow big plays. And that's going to be tough, I think, for Seattle against San Fran uh, with their lack of experience. But going on to the next game here, uh, second to last in the episode, we have the three-seeded Minnesota Vikings hosting the six-seeded New York Giants. This is going to be a really weird game. Two teams that really didn't look dominant to close out the year. Minnesota was looking really good there for a stretch when they, you know, Justin Jefferson had the catch in Buffalo. Injury reports pretty loaded for both teams, um, headed by um, – Zadarius Smith and Harrison Smith are questionable. Don't know what's going to happen with those guys. Would definitely be a big blow for the Minnesota defense. It's going to come down to who I think can. Obviously, Minnesota has more weapons on offense. I mean, New York has Saquon, but other than that, they don't really have any legitimate weapons uh, week to week. Whereas Minnesota's loaded with them. Taking Minnesota in this game, Minnesota's favored by three. It is USA US Bank Field. Um, I think Minnesota wins, we'll say 31-21. to 31-21 Minnesota, and that means that they would be going to San Fran to play the Niners and that the winner of Tampa Bay versus Dallas would be going to Philly. Taking the upset here. We want the Giants. I just – lately, I I can't get behind the Vikings. I mean – it's just such a confusing team down the stretch, right? I mean, they'll beat the win in Buffalo and then kind of following that. It's like, you can't place them. They, they had some games. They lost. I mean, they get, they got rolled by Dallas the week. I mean, the literally the week after, um, to get a blowout loss into green Bay last week, I guess two weeks ago now, but it's just, this is a confusing team for me personally. Um, I mean, same goes for the giants. I just, I'm going to bank on the coaching being superior for the giants across the board. I like Kevin O'Connell. I like Brian Dable a lot more. And I think Wink Martindale is a really good defensive coordinator um, with that Giants team. They got him humming. Uh, and they're a good front. I mean, they're a really good front seven. I really like Dexter Lawrence. Uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, a really bad look last week for him. But a guy who's going to get after it, I think, on, on Sunday. Um, it's really going to come down to can the Vikings contain Justin Jefferson or can the, can the Giants contain Justin Jefferson? Can the Giants score? Can they score enough points to hang with the Vikings? Because the Vikings are going to get theirs, I think. Um, they don't have a Jair Alexander on that on that secondary. That's going to do what he did to Justin Jefferson not two weeks ago. So uh, it's just going to be if the Giants can hang offensively and if they can kind of limit Justin Jefferson. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm going to take the Giants in the upset. Uh, I, I think it's my first real upset pick of the, of, of the pod um, here today. But um, we'll kind of go get it going with the last game here. Four-seeded Tampa Bay Bucks hosting the five-seeded Dallas Cowboys Monday night game. Um, it would just be so Tom Brady of them to win this game. A team that they should they should not beat. Dallas should win this game most of the time. But I just – how do you not pick Tampa Bay? It's a home game. You know Tom Brady's going to come out with a, with 
executing the game plan to a T. Um, everything in my body says pick the Cowboys. It's the right thing to do, but I can't. I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. I'm not going to bet against TB12 in the playoffs uh, until he retires or until I'm proven wrong. So I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Bucks to pull off an upset here. Obviously, seeding-wise, maybe not an upset, but certainly an upset, I think, for you know what the market and what and what Vegas is saying. So um, give me the Bucks in what's going to be a low-scoring game. And I think ultimately TB12 and Mike Evans um, get it rolling through the passing game late in the game, and, and TB drives them down. And, and whether it's a, a game-winning drive or a, a late back-breaking drive, for them, they're going to get it done late in the fourth quarter, I think. Before I get into that, I did want to touch on the Vikings-Giants again. Um, forgot to say that these two teams played on Christmas Eve at U.S. Bank Field, and it took a 61-yard right. Greg Joseph field goal, a walk-off 61-yarder, to win it for uh, Minnesota. And that was, that was a fun game to watch there. As you know, a lot of the games on Christmas Eve were, honestly. Um, going back to this Cowboys-Bucks game, Dallas favored by two and a half. I don't know if I like the line. They're giving the Bucks only a 31% chance to win. I mean, obviously, you would think Cowboys, based off those 12 wins that they had this year, there were a lot of quality wins in there, obviously being in what looks like the best division in football. I guess we won't know till the playoffs here. We're rounding out your season with a 20-point loss to the Commanders, losing 26-6. I mean, I don't know why... I know you play Dak Prescott, but Cooper Rush playing the way he was, why didn't you just keep him in? Like, I know you have to play Dak because you're paying him and stuff, but, like, keep Cooper in because he honestly looked better this season than Dak. Dak finished his season. He didn't play. I mean, I think he only played 10 games, but he had 15 interceptions. That's, I mean, he threw over one pick a game, which I think had to be up there in the highest in the league. But Cowboys defense looked good. CeeDee Lamb is really, really good. Um be fun to see how he does against this Bucks secondary. But I, I mean, like you said, Tom Brady, I don't know how you bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs, regardless of how their regular season looked. I mean, regardless of if they were eight and nine in our playoff team, the thing that matters is that they got into the playoffs. I don't think Tom cares what seed they are. They could be the seven seed. They could be the one seed. I, you just can't really bet against him, at least this early on in this opening round, especially with the Cowboys coming off a 20 point loss to the commanders. I guess if the Bucks were to win this, maybe you don't pick them to win in the next round, but you just have to see first round and you have to go with what you know and that it's a five versus a four. I mean, while the Cowboys finished, they technically won four more games uh, than the Bucks. It's just, it's in Tampa Bay. Everything's adding up for a classic Tom playoff game in which, you know, they outplay their opponent and they weren't favored going in as long as he's at least been with Tampa Bay. Um, but I just, yeah, I don't see – while the Cowboys are favored by two and a half, I don't see how the Cowboys pull it out in the end. And I just think the Bucks pull away. I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game. I think the Bucks defense is going to come to play, probably win, I don't know, 24-17 or something like that. I don't know. I mean, it's, this is a weird game to round out Wild Card Weekend as the lone Monday game on Monday night. Um, ESPN, ESPN Plus, love Troy and Joe Buck, I think. I don't know if they're doing the Manning cast. That would be really cool for a playoff game. I haven't seen anything about it, though. I don't know if they're doing the playoffs or what. Um, but, yeah, it should be a fun Wild Card Weekend across the board. In terms of what to expect for a divisional round, obviously we'll know who – we'll know one of the NFC divisional matchups before – Sunday ends. I mean, as soon as Giants Vikings is played, we'll know 
if the Giants are going to San Fran, or sorry, if the Giants are going to Philly, or if the Vikings are going to San Fran, and where the winner of the Monday game will go. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up on episode 33 here. First one back in about three, three, four months, probably three months, I think. Um, fun one as we kind of just covered football mainly. Uh, like I said, uh, glad to get back. Going to be posting on Twitter and Instagram again pretty frequently. Yeah, just with some big news, getting uh, the NFL offseason right around the corner, and MLB right around the corner. Um, looking forward to it. We'll be tweeting out this weekend during the games. and looking forward to seeing what the divisional and conference championship uh, matchups hold. And I think that's it. And we will see you all on Friday for our top five wide receiver draft rankings. I'm so excited for that. I cannot wait. I'm mm-hmm. just geeked about doing player rankings, man. I'm so excited. But, yeah, we'll see you guys Friday.